Hello and welcome to WGTC Radio, the official podcast of Entertainment Website. We got this covered. We are here for the second time in a row this week to talk about stuff. I have a question. Yes. Who are you? I'm Jonathan Lack. And I'm Sean Chapman. And we are here to mess up the intro. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm here. You you got it right, apparently. Yeah. I'm, I'm the only one who pays attention to this goddamn <laughs> thing while recording it. Yes. And we... <laughs> We just, I wanted to play for you guys as the opening music, because we're talking about Star Trek Into Darkness, the Star Trek theme from the Michael Giacchino scores to the new Star Trek movies, you know, the, you know, the big one, the Enterprise theme, yeah. but I can't find it on the fucking soundtrack, because Michael Giacchino titles every goddamn track on his scores uh, after puns. Yeah, my personal favorite on this one is Subprime Directive, because yes. it's the part of the movie where the Enterprise is underwater at the beginning, so it's a sub, but it's, you know, the Prime Directive. Yeah, and uh, we're about to spoil some stuff, so don't listen if you haven't seen the movie, blah, blah, blah. Then the track where uh, Bruce Greenwood dies, Captain yeah. Pike, is meldmerized. Yeah. Love that. Because the mind meld part, because he mind melds. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. When they go to Kronos, we've got the Kronos Wartet. <laughs> we've got, let's see, Brigadoom. We've got Earthbound and, and Down, down. which is so, like, that's just a weird one. We've got Warp Core Values. My personal favorite, this one actually made me chuckle, but it's when Kirk dies. It's buying the space farm. Yeah. That's just so dumb it works. Kirk Enterprises. Okay. And then the only one that's titled normally is just Star Trek main theme, and that's not even the theme that he wrote. That's like the theme from the TV show. Yeah, or what we, and this is what we played at the beginning, and apparently it's just build up. Yeah. Because we listened to like a good like 45 seconds, and it did not get anywhere. So we're just yeah. like, fuck, we'll play that one. Yeah. So... It's tough, and you know, if you, I have a large library of Michael Giacchino music just because I have all the scores from Lost because it's a really good score, and they're all like that. He was yeah, like, yeah. My f- personal, there's some great ones like at the end of season one when Boone dies, we've got Booneral. In season three, we've got the uh, or season four, we've got the great track of Mice and Ben <laughs> for the character because, Ben because in, they're talking about of Mice and Ben because Ben quotes it and his name is Ben. Which sounds like Mim, yeah. but it's not. He likes the Ben puns, because then in season five we get the swinging Benjulum. <laughs> We've got... God, what are some other I see ones? there's one that says Dharma Disaster. Is there one that says that's called Dharma Chameleon? Because... I don't... Probably. That'd be great. I mean, look how much long the series six trans... Or season oh, six. It was, it was... This is... That was the one... That was the season I did not watch. Apparently there was a lot of fucking music in that season. They just released more of it, and I, I have it all combined. This was two separate soundtracks. Oh, Because okay. the finale got its own soundtrack. Uh, for they did all the music from the finale, but yeah, it's yes. The, the, the second to last song in the entire <laughs> series, second to last song in all of Lost, is called "Jumping Jack's Flash." <laughs> That's pretty great. Yep, and then this might be a misspelling, but then there's one called "Culture." That's probably a pun of some sort. Yeah. Instead of just "closure," spelled wrong. I bet it's "culture" for some reason. Yeah. So, anyways, fuck you, Michael Giacchino. <laughs> I mean, your music in Star Trek: Into Darkness is pretty good, but. Man, it's so weird. Your soundtrack titles, you're kind of a dick. <laughs> and at the very least, he could like have like the real title, and then in like parentheses, his dumb joke, right? Yeah, because it's just he he's a great composer. Yeah, but it's kind of tough to find which pieces of music you want when it's you know, oh, of mice and Ben, I love that one. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Anyway. We have talked for <laughs> too long about yeah. weird soundtrack titles. We are on this podcast talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. We did two podcasts this week. Yesterday we talked about Doctor Who, Doctor Who, uh, the the series finale for series seven. And uh, today we're talking about this week's big movie release, Star Trek Into Darkness. Obviously, I like Star Trek. You like Star Trek. Yep. The listeners like Star Trek. So let's Hopefully. talk. 
Let's talk some Star Trek. Maybe they hate Star Trek. We don't know. Maybe they want to fucking kill anybody talking about Star Trek right now and we're putting our lives at serious risk. Well, that's what happens when you podcast, Sean. It's a dangerous business. That's true. Yep. And, you know, I guess somebody's got to do it. I'm not sure that's true. I was (laughs) going to say that, but then I realized that's... No. No. Nobody really does have to do this. Humanity was fine before podcasts. Were we? (laughs) Think of all the shit humanity did before their podcasts, like the fucking Holocaust... And, like, all the fucking, like, the crusade, like, the children's crusade. Think of, like, the Black Plague probably happened because of people were podcasting about it, right? If people were podcasting, they'd have been like, stay the fuck away from people with big black pustules on their skin. Just don't touch them. Stay away. This is think, of, think of how fucking great it would have been if podcasting had been there from the very beginning. This is very true. Yeah. Very true. We're part of a great cause, my friend. Alright. So if you've ever listened to one of our episodes where we talk about a movie before, you know the drill. We're just going to break this sucker down. It'll probably be pretty long. Yeah. Make sure you've seen the movie. We already spoiled some of it for yeah, you. Yeah, so. Benedict Cumberbatch is con, you know. Con! Sorry. Yeah. I, might, I may have jumped the gun on that one. Alright. So, let's talk Star Trek Into Darkness. Star Trek Into Darkness. Do we just want to get all the jokes about the title out of our system up front? I feel like we've just joked about the title so much that we just have to... We're just going to say it here, and this is the only time we're going to mention it. It is a dumb title. Yes. That's it. It's it is the worst thing about title. this movie, right? No. There's, okay. there's one thing that I would say is worse about this movie. But yeah, you're probably right. But yeah. Yes. yeah, but it is, it is a very shitty title. The reasoning behind the title is dumb. They could have just called it Star Trek Two. And I would have been fine. I get that there was a Star Trek 2 before. Whatever. Yeah. You know, at least you could have slapped a motherfucking colon in there. I get, I'm, apparently that's what everybody thinks is the worst thing about Star Trek. That's what keeps people away from Star Trek is the goddamn colons. But Not the Ferengi or something. Yeah. Alright, so Star Trek Into Darkness. Sean, what did you think about Star Trek? Uh, Into Darkness? Yes. Oh, I really liked it. Okay. I, thought, I thought it was a really, really fun movie. I think it definitely has some... Some problems that we'll get into, I think the biggest flaw, outside of just, like, there's one really, really dumb thing that is the worst than the title, but the only, like, real major flaw of the movie, I think, is that there's some really clunky plot-structuring stuff that is all really boiled down to, like, one one one-minute exposition dump, like, slap in the middle of the movie. That's just, like, that you can definitely nitpick a lot of that stuff, and, like, it is very nitpickable, but it is also a sort of... I felt like the movie is very has a lot of action and it's very character focused. So the clunky plot stuff, I was I was very easily able to forgive in that situation. So I ended up really liking it. Yeah, I like it too. I I don't like it nearly as much as the 2009 film, which I really I, love. No, that's yeah, I like it more. I mean, I haven't seen the 2009 film since I saw it in the theater, but I I remember liking the movie and not loving it. And I definitely I I like this movie more than that one. Okay, so now so interesting split there. Yeah, but for me, this is. I, I like Star Trek Into Darkness. I've got a lot of problems with it. Basically, it just boils down to... I, I said this in my review that's up on We Got This Covered, and it, I watched the movie again yesterday, and it was reinforced for me. I just think, to me, there's a clear split where I don't like a lot of the story stuff. I think it's really clunky. I think there's a lot of plot holes, and I think it's just kind of messy in that regard and messier than it needs to be. But the character stuff is all really damn good, and clearly they have... you know This is, this is the Damon Lindelof split, where we've <laughs> yeah. got you know great character work, kind of questionable plotting, and in the middle, it's still very entertaining, it's funny, it's, it's, it's got a good sense of pace, great yeah. action and effects and stuff, you know, um, good energy, uh, so overall I like it, and I, you know, it's definitely we both recommend it. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. It's a lot of fun, and I think it, it's another, I think it continues what they're trying to do with this whole reboot series, which is that it definitely 
it appeals mostly to Star Trek fans like me who are really into the series, but obviously also casual people who just don't have any interest in Star Trek uh, can enjoy it, I think. Yeah. So, like, I don't think you need to have seen Star Trek oh, The Wrath of Khan. To certainly get not. Yeah. Not, like, you will probably like this movie better if you haven't seen Wrath of Khan, honestly. Because it would... Although... It will eliminate... If I had never seen The Wrath of Khan, that would immediately eliminate my biggest problem with this movie. I think right. that moment would still be awkward, but it wouldn't be nearly as awkward if I had no knowledge of Wrath right. of Khan. But even then, I think they, they do play with the iconography of the series effectively. Yeah, yeah like, if you have seen Wrath of Khan... There are moments you, you, you get other stuff out of the movie, certainly, yes. but you so, don't need to have seen no. it anyway. And I think that's good, although I think it's kind of funny that it feels like everyone who works on these movies, that is the only piece of Star Trek they have ever seen, because it's like that's the, yeah. whatever they borrow from the original series, that's the only thing they do it from. Star Trek 09 had a bunch of stuff from Khan, like the, um, the test, what's it called? Uh, Kobayashi Kobi- Maru. Yeah, Kobayashi Maru, just, yeah. So, like, and some other little things here and there where they would reference that, and it's... I, I'm not saying that as a criticism, because... I mean, that's, if there's one Star Trek thing to watch, it is Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. Yes, but... Yeah, I mean, we it's did a whole funny. podcast on that, so... Yeah, so, that was that was last week. Yes. It's a good movie. So, um, I mean, this is, maybe this is where I want to open it up, is you said last week that it was, we shouldn't have watched Wrath of Khan in such close proximity. Was that a problem for you? I actually, did, I, I now disagree with that. Like, I feel that, honestly, watching it so close to this... It's particularly, you know, we'll we'll get more in-depth in this scene, but they do the inversion of the Spock death scene near the end of the movie, where it said it's Kirk dying. And I think having seen Star Trek II so close to it, and understanding the thematic material of Star Trek II, it made that scene so much more interesting in how they inverted it, and it highlighted the differences of these versions of these characters, and how young they are. It made that scene, I think, a lot more compelling... Whereas if I had not watched Star Trek 2 right before watching this, that scene might have made me a little, like, kind of angry at them sort of redoing this, like, one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema. Like, certainly one of my favorite death scenes of all time is that the Spock death scene. And if I hadn't had that proximity to, like, really, like, having the thematic material on mind, I think that would have made me a little angry at the movie and having it, like, right there. It's like, okay, what they're doing here is actually really interesting. I completely agree. I think it's... It couldn't it, even if it weren't Wrath of Khan. Watching some of the original series stuff uh, before seeing this helps yeah. because just knowing you know I think this this series the, these reboot films really understand especially Kirk and Spock as characters and that Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto are doing their own thing with these characters but they still feel like the core of these characters are the same yeah and that we are seeing them at earlier points in their lives. And I think it's really interesting to take these characters and knowing who they will become and where they will go and what situations they will be in and contrasting it to where they are now. That's what this movie is all about thematically and it works really, really well. And I think that there are some things that annoy me as a Star Trek fan in this movie on some of the plot and technical side, but character-wise, they've got that down pat and really satisfying. Yeah, without a doubt. So where do you want to start with this one? I don't feel like we need to go through the whole plot of the movie. Probably not. I mean, it's... Like, like the plot of the movie is very hazy to me anyways yeah. in a lot of plots, in a lot of parts, but... I'll start with a complaint. Okay, let's just, okay. yeah, here we go. This is this is your, like we said on the Doctor Who podcast, where there, when you were talking about the last episode of Doctor Who, you were a lot more positive on it, and I was a lot more negative on it. Our rules are now flipped with this one. Yes. So Because, I am, because I'm a much bigger Star Trek fan, Sean yeah. is not. Yeah, like I've seen a lot of Star Trek, but I don't have a huge amount of affection for the series as a whole, so... Yeah. Uh, and I definitely do. And, and anyway, I guess I'll just pose this to you first, though. Like, the opening pre credit scene where they're on the planet and they're saving, the, they're doing the ice bomb thing. What did you think of that scene? Uh, it was 
the, the opening scene of an action movie where they're doing something that has nothing to do with most of the movie. And right. It's like, you know, I would, I would like to know why the fuck and what situation prompted Kirk to steal this tribal civilization's most prized religious possession. I a second time through, I think they say he's doing it to distract them, so spot oh, the that, volcano, which doesn't make sense. Yeah, that doesn't. Yeah, that doesn't make sense, anyways. That but, is the explanation provided. Okay, because it's just because the way they just because they throw you just like right into that, and it was like, at first it's like, why the fuck did you, Kirk? What are you? Yeah, you, did you just become like? I mean, you're, you're you've kind of been a, you were kind of a dick in the last movie, but did you just become like the most insufferable asshole, just taking religious artifacts from primitive civilizations that have no idea who you are or where you could possibly come from? Like fucking yeah. asshole. Okay, so yeah, I like this scene too. It's it's okay. It's not a great opening or yeah. anything, but yeah. it's fun. It's like it's certainly not like Star Trek 09, One of the best scenes is the first scene where George Kirk saves the Enterprise and oh, dies. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is dead. Obviously, they couldn't do anything like that this time. So yeah. this works. But I have a problem with it. Okay. Problem, I mean, I have some problems with it. Too, my problem more than anything else is that... So what this scene is effectively doing functionally in the story is it's setting up a dilemma between Kirk and Spock. And it's yeah. that Spock wants to stick to the Prime Directive. Kirk breaks it to go save him. And then Spock is... Spock doesn't quite understand why Kirk's angry at him. Kirk doesn't understand why Spock doesn't get it. And that's kind of their argument, right? Yeah. The problem is... Both of them are partially misquoting what the Prime Directive is, because Spock going into and doing the ice bomb thing at all and being complicit in that, that is the major break of the Prime Directive here. Uh, everything else is secondary to that, to a certain degree. Um, as soon as you start interacting with a civilization like that, that's the problem. And, if, I mean, if you go back to the original series, they... That never, was like every single episode of the original series. They never worry about... Well, the, for one, the Prime Directive is a next-generation thing. That's not a major thing in the original series. So that's a little... Like I'm sure that was there in Starfleet, but that is yeah, not it was something. Yeah, I feel I feel like because I don't I've I've like don't watch a lot of TNG, and I feel like I knew about the Prime Directive before. They, I feel like I, I, the Prime Directive is there in the original series. I'm just saying it's not as omni like like they it is not something they stick to to the level that they do in the Next Generation, yeah. or that is a thing. Of, like half the episodes in the first season of Next Generation are about them trying to do something with the Prime Directive, hmm. including a case where if they had stuck to it, Wesley would have died, and I will forever hate Picard for not letting Wesley die. Wesley's a piece of shit. Kirk is better than Picard. He is, because Kirk would have let Wesley fucking die. God damn it. No, this, I think this movie probably proves that that yeah. will, no, but... Well, this Kirk, this Kirk isn't William Shatter yet. He's not hardened, man. He's... Like, fucking, yeah, the Kirk we know and love would probably fucking kill <laughs> Wesley, like, himself. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, you, you, okay, if you're going to kill him, like, let me do it. Anyway, all, to kill, motherfucker. anyway, what bothers me about this scene is that Spock is super on Kirk's ass about, like, don't come rescue me, that's a break of the Prime Directive, just let me die, when what he is doing is also a break of the Prime Directive, and then later, it's just, it's an internal logic issue in the film, because then, after the pre credit sequence, we get to um, Bruce Greenwood's character, Captain Pike, berating Kirk for this, and Pike says correctly that anything you do where you're interacting, like putting the ice bomb in the volcano and all this stuff, that's all the breaking of the Prime Directive. And then even after that, Spock still like asserts that he's right, and their argument keeps going on. And so it's just an inconsistency that bothers me. I mean, but this is something that you brought this up before we started this podcast talking about the movie, and I feel like I'm sort of like arguing against that in that what because what happens is that I mean you don't actually see this because the movie starts like in many arrests in this scene, but. Presumably, Kirk has ordered Spock to go do this. And it's yes. not like Spock would have just decided to do that on his own. So this is Kirk's fault. Like you know, yeah, but Spock never argues with the choice. Clearly, he wants to do it. He's doing it. That's not... no. That's you can't just assume that. Like you can't just assume that Spock was like. Then Kirk was like, 
go do that. And Spock's like, yeah, sure. Fuck but it, Spock is. But here's the thing: they are Spock is doing it, but they they Kirk obviously would have had to I order him to do it. That's too simple because Spock is also talking about the eradication of the species, and that's obviously something that we know from the last movie. He lost his own species, so it seems like they're trying to create some sort of personal connection here that he wants to do this because he doesn't want to see another species eradicated. And, and maybe maybe that is true, but then he also does not want. You know, because what happens is, like, the Enterprise rises up from the ocean, the primitive civilization sees it, and then they start, like, scratching it on the ground and being like, holy shit, there are fucking aliens, oh my god. Like, that is a clear, holy, like, breaking the Prime Directive thing that has nothing to do with trying to save a civilization that has no positive effect from it whatsoever, from Spock's perspective, because Spock doesn't think that he needs to be saved. So... Like, I, I, I don't have a problem with that, because then also the consequences from the action is that like, Kirk is the one that ultimately broke the Prime Directive because he's the one who gave the order. Spock was not going to defy orders. It is the commander's responsibility. And then the other big thing is that Kirk never filed the report in the first place. Spock did it, and that's even worse. Well, yes. Like, that's, like, and that's why Kirk gets shit on is because everything is his fault. It's not yes, Spock's and it is. And, and overall, I like what this scene does for the movie because it sets up that, yes... Giving young Kirk this command was a bad idea because yeah, yeah. he's shitty at his job so far. He's just not the man we, you know, he's destined to be yet because he's much, much younger mm-hmm. and much cockier. And I like all that. It's just this was an inconsistency to me that bothered me because I, I, just the way that scene is played, Spock does not ha- Spock does not necessarily have the moral high ground here. And then there's also just technical inconsistencies. I don't think, like, I don't think Spock is like conscious of like having moral high ground. Like that's just not his attitude. I don't know. Like he doesn't he doesn't feel like he thinks he has the moral high ground. He's just doing things as the regulations demand he do, and that's it because he's Spock. Like okay. this, there's no like like moral high ground. Him like morally debating, other than him like recommending Kirk don't. Don't like violate the prime directive because that's what the fucking rule is. Okay, Kirk's I mean, like, no, I'm going to violate the prime directive multiple times. Okay, well, and I mean, he he does literally break out the phrase morality in later in the film. When he's talking about he's saying what you're doing, Kirk, is immoral when he tells him. Yeah, but he's doing that time. in response to Kirk having brought up morality in the first place. Like, like Spock is not the one bringing up morality all the time. Okay, so it's like, fine. I, it's I, not. I, I say it's it is totally scene. consistent. Okay, I don't, I don't think, think it's consistent in the slightest, but it's fine. It doesn't make sense, but that's fine. What is what is inconsistent in that whole sequence is that okay, so because they you know they have the Enterprise underwater. Why can't they just beam them out? Why well, they like to... regardless of that, like you know, they they the transporter beams whatever they like. They have absolutely no grasp on that technology. Yeah. In this I, I don't feel like Star Trek has ever had a. De- I mean, I'm not deep into like post original series stuff, but it always feels like Star Trek is like. The transporters work when it's convenient for them to work, and it's, they don't work when it's in, when it would break the story if they did. You know, like, uh, but it's, it's just, it's that's just, what it's, it's always felt like to me. It's so. never quite as big an issue as it is in these two movies with the J.J. Abrams thing, where that is the transporters never work the way they're supposed to work, and it's always like, "Fuck, this isn't working." It's we, they always have to be a core of the action scene, and it was I was fine with it in the 2009 film. I think they overuse it as a plot device a little here, but yeah, but like for me, like what was really dumb because they bring it up is that they're like. Why can't we just fly the ship over, like, to the fucking... Into the volcano or whatever. It's like, it's a starship, Captain! It's like, you can't take hot magma. It's like, you're a fucking starship! What do you mean you can't take... You fly around stars that spew fucking hot, condensed hydrogen plasma. That's a hell of a lot fucking harder than some molten rocks, you know? Like, it was just like... 
You're a fucking idiot who's also complaining about it. It's like, we've been under the water for like three days, caught in the salt water's rusting this. You're a space, you're in a fucking spaceship. I think it can handle being in the ocean for a couple well, of days. Well, here's my other question. How are they ever planning to get out without the natives seeing them, and how did they get in there without yeah, the natives I, seeing them? I, they, the, the explanation to that is that it was cool to see the Enterprise come up out of the water. Yes. Is, but yeah, like logically, that whole, that whole sequence makes no sense. But it was just like, it was, the reason it's there is because it's cool to see the Enterprise come out of the water, and it's cool to have Spock be in the volcano. Yes. Is, I do like the suit he's in. It's a cool... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a fun scene, but like with a lot of this movie, like if you really wanted to nitpick it, you could you can tear it apart logically. But you know, yeah. I, like that was the only part where I really felt kind of compelled to do it because it's just like the ridiculousness of saying that a spaceship is not going to be able to handle a volcano. It's just like fucking come on, you're in a space. If you can't handle a volcano, get the fuck off that spaceship, because you're going to be dead as soon as you could, like, collide with, like, little tiny rocks that are moving at, like, near speed of flight. You're going through an atmosphere. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I, okay, I don't know if this is ever, like, addressed in Star Trek specifically, but I don't think the Enterprise is even supposed to go in atmosphere. Spaceships usually... No, like, I don't think... Spaceship, it, yeah. I don't think we ever see that in another Star Trek property. Yeah, like, like the, I'm pretty sure that, the, like, a spaceship like that would obviously not be designed to be in atmosphere. It was well, also kind of like in Star Trek 09, it was really dumb that they were building the Enterprise on Earth. That was a big controversy yeah. with fans. Why yeah. the fuck are you doing it? Like, of course you... Why would... Like, the big thing is, like, the reason why space travel sucks is because it takes so much energy to get something out of the atmosphere. If you're just already in space, it's no fucking problem. Yeah. Like, a spaceship is not designed to fly through atmosphere if it's like that, but... Right. Whatever. Yeah. It, they, they like I said, if you wanted to bring real science into it, Star Trek is not sci-fi as far as I'm concerned, so... Not, like, real sci-fi. Okay. So, in any case, after that scene... The opening scene. That's when we first meet Benedict Cumberbatch's character. He's helping Mickey from Doctor Who out. Yeah, Mickey. Yep. So that's nice to see Mickey from Doctor Who in a yeah. part where he has like one line. Yeah, and then blows up. How, what was that little ring thing he had put in water that somehow obliterated an entire building? Yeah, it was like just explosive. Like I can buy that. Okay, it's explosive that activates a chemical reaction when it hits water. Like. Something like that could very easily exist. I'm not saying it couldn't. I'm just yeah. asking. That's what it was. Okay. It, was an ex- it was an explosive that activated the chemical reaction when it hit water. Okay, cool. So he's really lucky. It didn't rain. Yes. So Khan apparently has the secret to immortality, and he gives the little girl his you blood. Khan? What is, do you mean, John Harrison? Yes, John Harrison has the secret to immortality. So he saves this guy's little girl, and then the guy has to go blow up the building, and then. We have, here's, here's a clunky part of the movie to me, is that on the other side of the plot that's going on here is we have um, Pike reprimanding Kirk. And again, all the character stuff here is great. Bruce Greenwood yeah. is awesome in this movie. He mm-hmm. was awesome in the last movie. I'm sad he's gone, but his death obviously matters here. Um, but this is his death also, and this whole section of the movie also shows to me the clear split between plot and character stuff, which is that having Kirk being demoted back to Starfleet, but then he's upmoted to commander slash first officer yeah. of Pike, and then Pike has to die at that point so Kirk can be captain and we can have the movie happen. So it feels like there's something so perfunctory about uh, Pike's death because it just has to happen because of how they've set it up. But emotionally it works very well because it has yeah. to happen for Kirk to have his, this desire yeah, to I don't have any problem with that. I mean, I thought, okay. I thought it, it's like, it did feel a little weird of like, because it's literally like back-to-back scenes of him being like, Kirk, I'm sending you back to the Academy. And then you cut to John Harrison for a bit. And then you cut back, he's like, you're my first officer. Kirk's like, well, 
shit, okay. It's just a lot of that, and then it's also, I mean, they don't mention this, Pike's getting a fucking demotion if he's captain of the Enterprise again, and I don't yeah. know, quite know how he would be fit for duty because he's got, like, a bad leg from the last movie. He still has to walk with a cane. And, you know. Yeah, you can be the captain of a starship. You don't need to be, like, this action hero dude. No, but I he feel can like sit that's... in a chair and say warp five, okay? So he'd be captain, and, you know, and he probably would have been demoted because he's kind of the reason why this little shit Kirk was in the captain's chair in the first place. So he probably got a little bit of the, you know, the force from Admiral Robotop. So all right, uh, so let's see. So Pike dies, and here's another plot thing that just... you just skip right to Pike dying. Holy shit! Well, what happens in the middle? We just. They they convene, I guess. Like, and this is yeah, what's this is another be. really silly moment that Kirk is the one who has to figure out that maybe we shouldn't convene in the room where the Starfleet officer who just bombed the shit out of our archive would know where we are. Like, Kirk figures that, and immediately I, they get shot down. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's an obvious like Kirk is the one who kind of like comes up with it, but like that seems like something that would happen is that you cause like you know you, you cause a distraction to cause these people to like all these people to convene in one area and then in fact that like that's that is totally plausible like but, I don't but considering the enemy is a Starfleet officer with inside knowledge and especially maybe they should have been a little smarter about it but we know, also know brass is not always brilliant but we also know Admiral Robocop Admiral. knows what Khan is knows who John Harrison is knows how powerful and we also know that Admiral Robocop is not necessarily the brightest dude in the world because he's the one who woke up Khan in the John Harrison in the well, first. I don't think he does a single smart thing in this whole movie. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's totally consistent. That's okay. what I'm saying. I don't see what you have a problem with. I, I guess this you're is right. Totally something that would happen. He got fooled by John Harrison. Hey, fooled? I don't know. He's just retarded. He's fucking the stupidest admiral in the history of the universe. Don't you say that about Admiral Robocop? I don't like Peter Weller in this movie, but like we'll Peter talk about Weller. that later. A lot. All right, so Pike dies. Spock minds melts with him. It's kind of morbid, but it's it's got some good results later. Yeah. Um, Kirk's really sad, and then Scotty finds out that Khan transported John all Harrison. the way. Yeah, John Harrison transported all the way to Kronos. You know, they couldn't teleport Spock out of the volcano, but he can teleport across the galaxy. And there is an explanation for that. It's just the other thing that's inconsistent. So yeah. Anyway. Transport beaming, yay. And uh, they, they decide they're going to go to Kronos, and they have these missiles guided on. And again, not really worth talking about the plot of all this, because it's all yeah. kind of clunky with, like, you're going to take 76 missiles, even though I'm ordering you to shoot one, and, like, they're really volatile, and, and Kirk is kind of makes some bad decisions, but they're in character with the whole, you know, yeah. he's very, wants revenge, and Scotty quits, and, you know. But Scotty's got a good role in this movie. Yeah, he does. Yeah. I like Scotty. Simon Pegg's just, just a good actor. Mm-hmm. He's got a good Scottish accent. Or a fun... I don't know if there's any good accents, but it's like for that. But it's yeah. fun and you know cheesy in the way it's supposed to be. So anyway, so the mission starts, and and to me, like, I guess if we're talking about the movie so far, I think the first act is is a lot of fun to me, just with getting into like setting up the character dilemmas for yeah. Kirk and Spock and stuff. It's the second act that I think is a little. It's like that's the clunky part of the movie to me, where they have to go down to Kronos, and and they come back up, and that's when Khan gives the big exposition. John Harrison. Dump. Well, yeah, John Harrison, and it's just kind of the, the back and forth between who's the bad guy and who isn't, and some of the investigation stuff, where kind of the character stuff gets put on the back burner for a little while to let the plot come into its own. Um, that part's a little clunky to me in the second act, but it works. I thought it was fine. Like, it didn't, it didn't like, other than the big, fat exposition dump, that's just like, half this stuff doesn't really, yeah, that doesn't that make a whole lot of sense. Other than that, I thought, like, this whole part was fine. Like, it's... You get some good action scenes with, like, the John Harrison 
with his like big fucking like his pistol, and then he's just got this huge cannon. I have no idea where the fuck he got that thing from. He probably made it himself. Klingons. How would you make a like a fusion reactor laser? He was making weapons. That's his fucking job. With the he could have just stolen it when he left. No, like the, he's developing like, weapons. He built those fucking. No, I, I thought you meant like on Kronos, like from. No, like he didn't build it on okay. Kronos, but you know. But he clearly didn't have it when he teleported there. He could have teleported there before and like put stuff there. Well, like he couldn't, have, like, he couldn't have teleported there in the first place because you couldn't just like teleport. Like, it would have. Where is Kronos? How far away is Kronos from Earth? Really far. Okay, so it would have taken him hundreds of years, most likely, to teleport because he, when you teleport, you travel at light speed because that's what that is. Uh, near light speed, actually. You're doing warp. It's trans warp beaming. You're just traveling at warp speed through space. And so they're turning him into minor particles and then bending space across all that area. That, then that is technically the explanation, yes. It's from... It's Hands, you did guy! Fucking holy shit! Why don't they just warp apart Kronos and just kill all the... If you can just do that, like, you should be able to fuck that planet up! Well, do you remember oh in, Star, from Earth? in Star Trek 09 when they're on the planet where Kirk meets Spock Prime... Then they meet. That's when they meet Scotty, and it's Scotty's equation for transwarp beaming that oh. allows them to get back onto the Enterprise. It's the same principle here. It's just it's super implausible because it would not be instantaneous. That, as you yeah. said, even at warp, that would take a significant amount of time. Kronos is not close to Earth, no. Okay. So yeah. Like I said, if you wanted to pick it apart, yeah, not hard to do. No. Let's just talk about. I don't know. Going through the story for this movie doesn't really help. I think so. Let's. I don't know. I mean, we find out John Harrison is con because con. He's, yes. And I actually... I, I am caught. I love the moment when he does that because it's a weird way they kind of play that moment where he's like, I am Khan. And then he yeah. like has this little smile like, that's right, you guys know who I am. But it means nothing to anyone in the movie. Yeah. It's just there for the audience. And he yeah. has this like musical sting. It's kind of awkward, but... Yeah, it, it would be like a scene if you had not seen Wrath of Khan, you'd be like, okay, yeah. so, so what? Yes. Oh, I like both times. You I have it. a different name than what I thought your name was. Big fucking deal. Although I liked that in the in both times I saw the movie, somehow people in the theater had not figured out who he was yet, and so like half the audience went like, "Oh." Like I mean, I have to say, it's like you know, I it seemed like kind of what they were doing. I was like, okay, he's probably con. Like in that action scene, it's like that's probably what they're doing. But I wasn't entirely sure if they were going to go all the way and name him Con. So it was like. Until, like, they were about to do it, it was like, okay, yeah, okay, this is what they're doing. That's I what. figured he was Khan in the action scene with the Klingons, and then I had, I was, like, 100% sure once they opened up the missile pod and there was a guy in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's space feed. But I like that. I mean, let's let's talk about these bigger issues in the movie. Okay. Rather than going through the story here. Like, let's, let's, they, they did Khan. Are you happy with how they did Khan? Yeah, actually, I, I really am. I think we both were sort of, didn't think that they were probably going to do Khan because it seemed like a... We have a decision idea. to do, but but like when we've talked about it, I've always said that if like I hope what they do, and this is what they did with Khan, is just basically go back to the idea of who Khan is, which is a genetically modified sort of Superman dude who fought in the eugenics wars and kind of became like this crazy Hitler type of like dictator guy, and like go back to that and then do something with it because while Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan is a fucking amazing movie. Like, the only reason Khan is a eugenic Superman is because he was a eugenic Superman in Space Seed. It has nothing to do with the movie at all. Yeah, and they so, play with that a little bit in the Space Seed episode, but only as much as the technology yeah, allowed yeah. at the so, time. So, like, going back to that idea of the eugenics wars and that kind of aspect of it, it's like, okay, like, you... Because he doesn't even need, like, you know, he doesn't need to be named Khan in this movie. Like, that's just sort of a fan service kind of, yeah. you know, reboot thing, whatever. But, like, 
he is a completely different... I mean, he has similarities to Khan, but he's a very different kind of character. He has a very different role in the movie than Khan did in Star Trek II, and even Space Seed. Like, it's got more to do with Space Seed than it does Wrath of Khan, but... And I think that's the way to go, because, yeah. you know, I agree. I don't think he needed to be named Khan, and I wonder if people would be looking... If Benedict Cumberbatch would be even more talked about if he got to create an original villain, but it's okay. He, for all intents and purposes, he got to do his own thing here. Yeah, yeah. They went in a different direction, and what I liked is they explored areas of Khan we had not seen before, and it felt like a, and it feels like a valuable part of the fabric of the movie. And they even did it in such a way where the the, the canon is still respected. It's not like they still he was still on the Botany Bay. They still yeah. found him out in space. It just happened in a different way because of the events of the 09 movie. Mm-hmm. That was what I was most impressed about, is that the plot, they were able to find an explanation for Khan being there mm-hmm. that made sense with what we know about the history. Yeah. So, that was fun. Don't know why he's British now. I don't know why he was Spanish in the first place. Yes. Khan Union Singh? Not a fucking Mexican name, you know? It's not... Yeah. Yeah, not Latino. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, he's, he's, he's British now, but that's all good. You know? A lot of... People who... It seems weird that they're British in this movie, but... Yes. But Benedict Cumberbatch being British is always awesome, because he's got a great voice. British. And and let's... Yeah, so let's talk about Benedict Cumberbatch. He is really fucking good in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I... Holy shit, yeah. yeah. I mean, his... Obviously, he does great with dialogue and his lines, because he's just a... His, his voice is awesome, and that's yeah. what makes him so good on, like, Sherlock and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what impressed me so much about him here is his physicality. Yeah. Like, J.J. Abrams recognize something in Benedict Cumberbatch I don't think other people have used so far, which is that he kind of, when he moves and like how he fights in this movie and the way he looks with his height, but also him being very kind of skinny, yeah. he kind of has this snake-like quality to mm-hmm. him. And they really emphasize that here with how he uses his eyes and how he just, he always looks like he's kind of, when he fights, he's kind of like he's coiled and then he strikes. Yeah. And it's very much like he's just very frightening to look at. And even though he's not, you know, a physically imposing person in the traditional sense of the word. Yeah. He's not, you know, Tom Hardy in Dark Knight Rises. He's and but it really like the physicality. They really sell it in ways that seem truly kind of terrifying. Yeah, like when he's going on the rampage on the bridge of the other ship, and he just breaks Doctor Kelmarks's leg in half. Yeah, geez. And he goes and just rips, you know, RoboCop's head apart. And, no, I don't think he rips it apart. I think he crushes it with his bare hands. Yes. I'm pretty sure that what that was implied in that scene. Yeah. Actually, that's what I thought too. Thomas, my brother, had a theory that he actually ripped his brainstem apart or something, and it was like. Don't know what he was talking about no, with that, but I'm yeah, pretty yeah sure, sure he, he just crushed, crushed it. That's what I thought head. too. Yeah. yeah, so crushes his head. Good sound design in the movie. Very gross. Yeah, especially like in that scene is really good. And then I always liked, you know, in like the fight scenes with Khan. Every time Khan hit like lands a punch, like the like thunderous just like thud from that is great. It's yeah. just like a really great punch sound effect of it really sells this. Oh yeah, you don't want to get punched by that guy. Yeah, that would probably suck. Yes, and I think they just did. They just did a fun job using Khan in different contexts and building yeah. him to the point in the movie where he is just this unstoppable, terrifying villain. Yeah, even though their ultimate solution of how they beat him is a little simple, but it's okay. It works. Mm-hmm. Um, but what? But I like that you know early on when we first meet him, he it seems like they could be playing him in such a way where he becomes an ally. Like yeah, some, it is because you're not, uh, since he's used in such a different way than he is in like Wrath of Khan and stuff because this is the first time they've met. Him and he's a very different kind of con. You, you're, it puts the audience in an interesting position where you know that he has historically been a villain, but since they they're sort of Kirk and him are working together, and Khan doesn't necessarily have a reason to betray Kirk for, for in, or in, any, in any way. You you have, you're left there thinking it's like okay, like maybe Kirk and Khan can get together in this like reboot universe under these like you know 
you know, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of way and take out Admiral Robocop. Yeah. And, and I, I'll admit, I would have been interested in seeing a direction where they could have done something with Khan where they decided to make him an ally or something. That would have been an interesting way to go. Mm-hmm. But I really like what they do where they just get fucked. And they yeah. get fucked so thoroughly by Khan in this movie where they're on the bridge with the other ship. You know, Kirk has the correct idea to drop this guy. Yeah. But he doesn't know the extent of his power. Yeah. And then he gets up, breaks Carol Marx's leg in half, crushes yeah. Admiral Robocop. And then he just... Beats the shit out of Kirk. Yeah, beats the shit out of Kirk. And then gives Spock just... Just annihilates Spock, like, you know, logically. Yeah. When they're having this ship-to-ship confrontation where it's just like, you have nothing on me. I will fucking destroy you. Yeah. It, it works. Yeah, definitely. It's so, on, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch is fucking great in this movie. Yeah. And, it's, and we get some fun... And, and even when they are allies, we get some fun stuff, like the space drop where they're mm-hmm. going and... That was a little disappointing because they start with no sound in space and then they put sound yeah, in space. Yeah, another like there is no sound in space. goddammit. Yeah, and we wouldn't we wouldn't even talk about it if they hadn't like no, made us aware. I would talk about it. Okay. I talk every single movie there is sound in space. I talk about it because yeah. that is not known. But it's you can have music. Music is fine. Not yeah. sound effects. There are no sound effects in space. Yes, very true. Um, which is kind of funny because they do. They shoot all the ships in this movie like in Firefly where they do the thing where they like have it out and then they zoom in. Yeah. So it makes me think about Firefly which does correctly does not have sound in space. Mm-hmm. One of the trademarks of that show. I think that's kind of funny. But in any case. J.J. Yeah, J. J. Abrams takes his inspiration from all sorts of sci-fi just not Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about that later. But so, yeah, all the stuff with Khan works really well. The story goes along. Um, uh, the thing that I dislike most about this movie is I think the actual villainous like plot that gets Khan into the movie and all this stuff is fucking retarded. And the whole idea that like and, and that exposition dump, as you say, Khan eventually just s- s- looks at Kirk for three minutes and tells the plot of the movie. Yeah, and it's and the plot is really stupid. Where like over like the reason uh, Admiral Marcus has for waking up Khan makes a certain amount of sense. Admiral Robocop. I don't know what okay. you're talking about. Admiral Robocop, the reason he wants to wake up Khan and get his help is because they're worried about the Klingons as a threat, and that makes sense, but some of the stuff that comes out of that, like, his unbelievably convoluted plan to have Kirk go and have the Enterprise destroyed and the Klingons start a war, and then, like, we'll just start a war for the fuck of it, because the Klingons are way more powerful than us, but whatever, let's just start a war for fun, and it's dumb, but... Yeah. Yeah, and and then obviously, like... You, you would think that... I don't know why Admiral Robocop decided to just piss off Khan, knowing the extent of his power, and then Khan decides to get retaliation. Like, couldn't Admiral Robocop have just been like, here's your, your crew, Khan. Like, you know, don't... Like, I'm not going to try to kill them. And then that's why Khan fights back. We find out in the big exposition dump. It's like... The well, more I we... think... Well, I, I had the impression that Admiral Robocop was sort of blackmailing Khan with the crew, and that was, like, the only way he could get Khan to work for him was because, okay. you know, yeah, because Admiral Robocop had the crew, like, had the crew, so yeah. then Khan had to smuggle them out by putting them in weapons, and that's how that all started. Yeah. So, a little weird. Um, yeah, it's, it's convoluted, but it, it, like, that part of the movie is not, it's just an excuse to have the villains there, really. It's not, yeah, it, like, it, it is clunky, but I don't feel like it, at least for me, it didn't particularly detract from my experience, because the focus on the movie was so heavily on the character relationships between Kirk and Spock and how that developed. And that works, and, yeah. but I, I want to keep on this for a minute. I mean, so you like Admiral Robocop in the movie. Yeah, I mean, he's a really over-the-top villain, but I'm fine with that. It I'm fine with a really over-the-top cliche villain every It once just in a while. doesn't even look like Peter Weller is trying to me in this movie. It is so I, phoned in. It is I, so... I just really disagree. Like, I don't... Okay. 
I don't think he turns in like an amazing performance, but I would never call it bad. Like it's cliche and over the top, but Star Trek a lot of times is kind of cliche and over the top, particularly over the top. So oh, I, I'm fine with it. Okay, I just think it's he's a boring villain. I don't understand his motivation. I don't. And you liked Guy Pierce in Iron Man three? Man, I Man. I did. Like I like you know. I would say probably Peter Weller is about the level of Guy Pearce in Iron Man 3. The, my main problem with Guy Pearce in Iron Man 3 is that the, there was a promise of a more interesting villain, and in Star Trek Into Darkness, we actually have a more interesting other villain, which is Khan. And Peter Weller is there as a sort of second... Admiral Robocop is there as a secondary villain. It's just none of his motivations make sense to me. There's a lot of, I just think, really ham-fisted stuff with him, especially where, like, Kirk gives this really emotional plea, and then he does the stupid-ass line, like, Ah, I was never going to let your crew live, Kirk. And I'm like, why? Because they could tell everybody about Khan. Of course he's not going to let them live. Of course he's just going to kill them out in the middle of nowhere and make it, everyone think that the Klingons did it, because then he can also use that as an excuse to get everyone else behind the war against the Klingons. Sure, I guess. It's so... It's, of course it's he wouldn't. Really of course he wouldn't let them live. Why would he ever let them live after they saw him know about Khan, know that he let Khan out, saw him attack their ship, these clearly broken, just like hundreds of Starfleet protocols, and they could have him arrested. I would think... Of course he wouldn't let them live. I, would, I was thinking in the back of my mind, clearly he's got this fucking ship, they would have records on this, I don't know. It doesn't... Either way it goes, it doesn't make sense. I it think doesn't make a so ton of sense, but I don't think it's it's as nonsensical as you think it is. Okay, I like it's, it's like there is no way he was going to let them. Like realistically speaking, he would never let them live. Like the smart that's thing fine. to do and that's, in whatever. that situation it's, would be to kill everybody. There. Okay, it's fine. Whatever. I really, really strongly dislike Admiral Robocop in this movie, and it I really, really hurts strongly them. dislike you. If you're if this is where you're drawing the line, where you're saying you really dislike Admiral Robocop. That you really dislike Peter Weller in, in any fashion, no matter what. This is not okay. No, we both talked about it in the Dark Knight Returns podcast that Peter Weller phoned the, the fuck in on that Dark Knight Returns movie. Yeah, we but completely agreed on that. He phoned it in. I still was happy that Peter Weller was there. Okay. I I just... it's This is my biggest problem with the movie. I, I don't find that character interesting. I think that part of the movie is kind of a mess. I I think it's my favorite part of it all is when Khan finally goes and says you should have let me sleep and crushes his head. I mean, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's I just I I really I'm not going to. It's probably the weakest part of the movie, but I don't think it's particularly terrible. Like it's not saying terrible, but I think that tonally, I think this part of the movie has issues because I think Peter Weller is operating out of a different movie. That's just it's a different kind of he's pitching to a very different kind of tone. And it's it just doesn't feel like what the rest of this ignore the larger Star Trek universe. This movie, for the most part, the character relationships and the villains feel grounded in a way he does not. And I don't, I just don't I think do, it fits. I definitely don't feel that. I mean, I definitely think that his character doesn't necessarily tie into like the character relationships in the way that like Khan does. And, and, but he he also very much feels like a secondary villain. Like he doesn't feel like a huge character. He's more a wall there. To like an obstacle to force Kirk and Khan to be together and to give them a little objective in the second act of the movie. It's it does, I understand its yeah. function. I, I know that's his function. Yeah, and I just think that that's like that's it. I don't think it's like I don't I think it takes think it away from the movie. I in still any think it could have been done better. That's it could have been done better, but I don't think it was done terribly. Okay, I think it was and fine. It's yeah, whatever. I um, let's see. What else was I going to say about this part? You talk for a while. Let's see. So what else happened? So yeah, so we have the whole sequence where they get on the ship. I mean, I, I should say I like some action beats here. Yeah, like, he's got that giant ship, and I like that it, it 
breaks them out of warp. Yeah. Um, the mechanics of warp in this movie don't always make sense, but... The mechanics of warp in Star Trek don't make sense. They, they, it, you never get the sense that anybody on the show understands that warp is that you're condensing space and, like, the realities of that situation. Except, why doesn't someone just fucking condense Kronos? Because you can just condense space. Yeah, so that is a very significant technological power that you can condense space itself. But I just think it's a little weird in this movie that they depict warp entirely differently than they even did in the last movie. That's all. I just think that's a funny. Like you're right, Star Trek always does warp yeah. weird, but it's like even within these, this two movie canon, warp is like now it has at least a behind a trail of pixie dust for some reason. <laughs> I don't like the most significant is like because they, they do the thing where like the ship stretches or whatever. Which shouldn't it be that the ship did whatever? But, uh, and then they have, like, it is, it's actually this very Star Wars-y, like, you are in this, like, yeah. shaft of blue, whatever. Uh-huh. And it's obviously, that was, like, because there's no way to visually, like, or at least they couldn't come up with a cool way to visually represent a, another ship in warp catching up to your ship in warp. Right. Because it would be, that would actually look really funky, because everything would be, like, stretching and stuff, but. Yeah. I'm not necessarily complaining about this, I'm just yeah. saying, like, it's, you know, it's a little wonky, just because. Even if, you know, you ignore the larger Star Trek candidates, yeah. Whatever. Like it's, just, it's another thing yeah. where they're, they're doing Star Wars and they're not doing Star Trek, and it's fine, yeah. but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. J.J. Abrams clearly wants to make his Star Wars movie. Yeah, yeah, he does. So, let's see. Uh, what else do we want to talk about here? The actual ending, obviously, once Khan takes over, I mean, that's where the movie really gets really good to me, is once Khan has the other ship, and I think they start doing some great character stuff here, and it's, it's really, like, the, the tension is really high, the Enterprise really takes a fucking beating... Yeah. One day I hope in this series the Enterprise gets to fight back, but we'll see. Because uh, both these movies have ended with the Enterprise just completely fucked. Yeah. That's how it goes. And, uh, you know, Kirk comes back to the ship and and Kirk winds up doing the thing, something similar to what Spock did. Yeah, know, it's basically Con. the same thing. They just, like, much made it bigger. a much bigger yeah. room than it yeah. was before. But, yeah, he has to, like stop this radiation leak or whatever, like, fix this, like, broken thing. Yeah. So let's talk about that scene. This is their big recreating a moment from Wrath of Khan. And I, again, this is something, if you had told me that they would have done this before I saw the movie, I would have said, that's a terrible fucking idea. Yeah. You just can't make that work. But they made it work really well because not only, you have this, this, on the surface, the split between, okay, now it's Kirk on the inside and Mm Spock on the outside. That's kind of interesting. But it's really a character thing here. Yeah. it's, It's where they've come in this movie and it's, you know, the whole point of Into Darkness is pushing these characters towards the adults we know they're going to be. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting about that scene is that it lets both Kirk and Spock be completely, totally vulnerable as, not as kids, but, you know, they're not the adult officers we know they're going to be. They don't know how to process death. They don't have the language for it. They're just completely confused by this. And at the same time, in this moment, this is where the ultimate sort of exchange in philosophy comes between the two of them where Kirk finally understands where Spock is coming from on emotion and Spock finally understands where Kirk is and that feels so significant to me and they play that moment so well and then yeah and then fucking Spock like Kirk has apparently died and Spock looks up with anger and goes Khan except it's a longer yell than that (laughs) and they kind of like cut it off at the end too with a cut in a weird way it kind of sounds like he says Khan like, he's some sort of really pissed-off crow. Caca, motherfuckers. But yeah, that's... That's terrible. That is the worst part of the whole movie to me, is just, like, that yell of Khan is so unnecessary, it just immediately, like, drop-kicks you out of the movie, because... It's an empty reference where the other references yeah, exactly. are not empty. Yeah, like, their, their inversion of the Spock death scene is really clever, and sort of highlights 
you know, it's, it sort of brings Kirk's character development of him sort of like being able to understand the res- like the actual responsibilities of a captain, what is sort of expected of you, and the reality of the situation of, of death and of people dying and people under your command dying and your affection for your crew. And so he sacrifices himself, and then it's Spock's culmination of him being able to see, okay, like this is, like death is this really emotional thing, and sometimes you can't just ignore it and like turn that off. That you know, I'm a half human. I have yeah. emotions, like, I have to process this in some way. And then they cap that with a reference to, you know, a great scene from Wrath of Khan that is not the Spock death scene from Wrath of Khan. So, like, it being brought up there at all just feels out of place. Like, it even Spock even doing that kind of feels out of place because Khan's not directly responsible for Kirk's death. So it's, like, yeah. immediately just, like, channeling all his rage at Khan in that moment. It's not like he saw Khan break Kirk's neck, you know? Yeah. So it's, like... It's like Khan was the cause of Kirk's death, but like in an indirect fashion. So him just being being Khan feels really weird. Yeah. And then also on top of all of that, that scene and that line from Wrath of Khan has become an internet meme since you know for a very long time now, and it is used as sort of to comedic effect in comedy videos as like this like you know heightened like super melodramatic screen thing. And in that sense, it works really well. But since it's become a meme, it just feels like it's now a reference to that meme in Wrath of, in uh, Into Darkness, and it's like it's way too self knowing and self referential, and like on a spot where it's already really treading the line of being too self referential by recreating that scene so exactly. That it's a like, tough line they're walking, and yeah. then they kind of trip over it there. Yeah, and then they take a flying leap off of that line and like into yeah. the deep end, and just be like, "No, fuck it, calm," because everybody wanted that, I guess. Yeah. So here's my big question, Sean. Yes. How amazing would it have been if this movie ended with Kirk dead? That would yeah, that would have been as bold a choice so in a awesome. blockbuster as I could ever think of. Like Yeah, it would have been because it would have felt so appropriate to to the story of and like the the realistic consequences of putting Kirk in that captain's seat before he was ready is that he would die. And like because, you know, and then having this that be this reboot of like, you know, that's, like, the big branching off point is, like, Kirk becomes a captain of the Enterprise way before he should have been, and because of that, he doesn't get to be the man he should be, and so he dies young. And, like, in knowing who Kirk could have been because of your the involvement with the original series makes would make that so tragic, but then it also puts Spock in this interesting situation where now Spock becomes sort of the Kirk because the the early death of his friend sort of balances him more towards the middle and not just towards the logic that would make him a capable captain because you see Spock actually being a very capable... Like, Spock more is the Kirk of this movie in terms of, like, coming up with the plans and being able to defeat the enemy. Yeah, but it would be so interesting to see a third movie where they have Spock as the captain, yeah. but he can only be a great captain because he had this experience with this yeah. young Jim Kirk. Yeah, it's like it would have made... It's like a really great Elseworlds comic book story of, like, you don't have to worry about the continuity at all you can just make this one small thing. The problem with it is that movies are way more expensive to make than comic books, so they were never going to obviously take that long shot of... Yeah. And then even then, I don't know... While I like the... I like. I think this would have been a great ending for this movie, I don't know if they would have been able to make a really good movie without Kirk after this. Like, I, and I know it would be tough. Yeah, but like, it, it could happen, but I would not expect it to happen. Yeah. Like, it it, just this would be a great ending to this weird little reboot franchise or something, but yeah. But it just it, it it does automatically render some of the stuff after that contrived. 
in yeah. a way that it's not horrible or anything. But you know, it's like yeah. I mean, you see, in part of the problem is that like the because you know you have the whole Mickey part where it is established that John Harrison at the time blood can bring people back from the dead effectively, and then they have Bones like experimenting on the Tribble earlier, and so like it's that 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 aspect of how you Kirk is going to come back to life is so heavily telegraphed earlier in the movie that's like as soon as Kirk dies, you're just like I wonder oh. Yeah, okay, that's how they're going to do it. It's not even this process of like, how the fuck? Like, because you know Kirk's not going to die, but you could still be like, how the fuck are they going to bring Kirk back? It's just like, how the... Con, Con's blood, that's just, yeah, yeah. that's... It's yeah, also one of those... seeded that so early and so obviously, but... It's also one of those ramifications where you have to wonder, like, all right, Dr. McCoy now has discovered immortality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, that is a, a big weird, deal. Yeah, where... And we've got fucking... I mean, there's another problem where they... Because they decide to go after Khan when you've got, like, 75 fucking torpedoes of these superhuman dudes in your fucking cargo bay to open one of those suckers up and stick a needle in their arm. There you go. Yeah. You have this ready-made factory of immortality. You've got the motherfucking Philosopher's Stone on your hands, so... They basically do. And then there's another big thing where... I'm not a huge fan of the chase that follows where I yeah. really don't like that Khan just destroys half of San Francisco. It's something that feels like it it makes me it makes it automatically kind of tough to care about what's going on the on in the enterprise, especially because they just completely gloss over this. Like and I understand it's just an action yeah. it's an action scene. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it just because it was, it's an action movie. It's too, like it's just too much destruction. Really doesn't feel like Star Trek. Maybe that's me, not the movie, but that just doesn't do, I'm gonna say right now, this movie does not feel like Star Trek. Like like no Star Trek movies really feel like Star Trek. Star Trek two does a lot, but real Star Trek is a TV show. Like, the movies I agree, not, but they have the characters so well in this yeah. movie that that's all I really need. But it's just one of those things where that that ship going through that and destroying that much just didn't feel it. Did, it felt too dark for this movie. Like that, that JJ Abrams usually likes. It to has light. dark in the fucking title. I don't give a shit about the title. It's you awful. should have gone in expecting some dark because yeah. it tells you right now where are we going. We're trekking into darkness. I mean, this would be one of the most horrible things to ever happen to twenty third century Earth. That's like nine eleven times a hundred. Yeah, I mean. There's funny because we were talking about this, and I said that, like, because I recently, relatively recently played the game Vanquish on the PS3, and it was kind of funny because that game opens up with, like, literally in the first one minute of the game, the entirety of San Francisco is completely eradicated by crazy space Russians. And so it was like seeing half of San Francisco eradicated by crazy space Hitler, not a big deal to me. It's like San Franciscans are lucky as far as I'm concerned. No Russians were around. Yeah, I mean, I could kind of see where you're coming from, but it didn't really bug me because it is such just an action movie thing of like, yeah, that happened, but since the movie does not try to dwell on it in any way, I guess I'd never really bothered to dwell on it. Well, I think it's just the kind of moment where you either do it and you dwell on it or you don't fucking yeah. do it, have him land in the water or something. I mean, it's it's fine, it's whatever, and, and the chase that follows... He's just landing in the water doesn't look as cool. Okay. Uh, and I think it's also, I feel like the pace here is a little wonky where you have... You know, one of the reasons why the Spock death scene is so great in Wrath of Khan is that everything is finished. Yeah. So there's just no hope. It's all done. And that's that's the end of the movie. That's how yeah. we close it. And we have the funeral. 
And here, I mean, that this is just a small break in the third act, because we have the big scene where the Enterprise is falling to Earth, which is my favorite action scene in the movie. I think it's a really good set piece. I like the idea of the Enterprise just in free fall, yeah. and then having to fix it. I think they have a lot of fun with that. Uh, and then having that, and then following up on that with another climactic set piece, where it's basically a Tom yeah. Cruise... It's, it's Tom Cruise Mission Impossible, let's just chase the bad guy. Yeah, I mean, it did... It, it weirdly reminded me of something sort of like The Dark Knight, where it's like it felt like we had the climactic scene, and then the movie sort of keeps on going... Where it's just like, yeah, they could have paced that better, without a doubt. Uh, but, you know, and I, I still, it's it's another separation, though, where I think the Spock character stuff there is awesome. I like seeing just how angry Spock gets, yeah, and that he almost just fucking kills Khan because of this, and breaks his own codes, and he has to be kind of brought back to reality by Uhura at the end there. Um, and, you know, it's it's <laughs> that fight is pretty brutal. Uh, I kind of like the moment where he just fucking somehow breaks Khan's arm. That's pretty cool. So, I mean, he knows crazy Vulcan, yeah. No, I know, I, I understand how he yeah. does it, it's just like, oh, wow, Yeah. tables have turned. So Who's breaking bones now, yeah. motherfucker? And that uh, that definitely, that's one of the more, having them run through the city and then have them on the, like, the, the big, like, yeah, taxi space. Yeah, like, yeah, that's, like, car. that's a Star Wars-y kind of thing yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. But it's fine. Uh, and then, I also thought the movie, after that, ends fairly abruptly, where Kirk gives this speech... And it's really awkward because he tries to tell us that the the thing that William Shatner says at the beginning of Star Trek every episode is the captain's, like, it's like the oath you have to take for office. He says that, and then is he... That, is that what he says? Yeah, I, he don't, said, I don't remember that specifically. He says he's giving the, the big speech, like they're doing the one year, the rechristening of the Enterprise. Yeah. And he says, when I first became captain of the Enterprise, Admiral Christopher Pike had me recite these words, the captain's oath, and they are, and then he says the words... That's not a captain's oath. That's a yeah. description of the five-year mission. What yeah, the fuck definitely. are you doing? That was just such a weird cut. Like, I wondered if they had an oath there and that they just decided to, like, they had wanted to compress that or something. Like, yeah. if that speech went on. But, yeah. The the opening monologue is not a captain's oath. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you didn't have, like, the five-year mission part, it could be. Yeah. But, yeah, but the five-year mission part definitely was like, that's a, that's a weird oath. Yeah. He, de- he definitely was not made to say that when he was first made captain in yeah. Star Trek 09. <laughs> yeah, like, that could be, I don't know, like, if they, that is, like, a set thing they do that they send people out on five-year missions, maybe that could be an oath they give before they go on five-year missions, I don't know, but yeah, yeah. not but this captain's is, oath. They also say this is the first of these missions, so, but I, I like that at the end, you know, we do get set up, it's kind of like the end of Skyfall, where it's like, we're back to the beginning now, Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see if they do a third movie, how they can do anything within this five-year mission structure. Um, like, maybe it would be fun to have them discover a new civilization or something that we know. Strange just, new world. I, I think we just, you just, next time they take the arena episode and have them Kirk fight the Gorn and that's a whole movie. Yeah. Although, it's, you know, one fucking, it's, it's boldly go where no man has gone before as far as I'm concerned. Like, fuck your gender politics. That, it sounds better. Just phonetically, boldly go where no man has gone before. It's like, it's not, it has nothing to do with gender, where it's like, man is short for human, it's a better line. And, and every time it's not that, it's like, it's like fucking, fuck TNG. It bothered me here, because that's, he's reciting the William Shatner thing, and yeah. then he's, that, that, just that one word has changed. It's like, that's wrong. It's, it's always wrong. Yeah. God damn it. Yes. So anyway, um, I would like to see in the next movie, if they, if they do... One small step for a person, one small step for all people. Yeah, exactly. I, um, if they do another movie, I would definitely like to see them just do something completely original. Like, the con stuff worked in this movie, 
But because they have this new canvas of this reboot universe, I would like them to just tell completely original stories from here on out. Because even 09 was very much mired in, in prior stories and stuff and, yeah. and some of those elements. And I think they're not completely taking advantage of the possibilities, and I'd like to see more of that. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, if there's another one, I think there's a lot of good directions they could go in now. Yeah. But, like, for me personally, I would expect them to set it after the five-year mission. Like, I wouldn't necessarily expect that that's... Because, I don't know, like, it seems like it would be hard to... That's such a set a, Yeah, it would be hard to set a movie story during this five-year mission, I guess. I mean, they could do it, but it doesn't... That doesn't feel like that would be something you'd do. Right. Um, let's see. Because they would be, like, completely isolated from, like, all of Starfleet and stuff like that. It would just be weird. Yeah. Okay, so I thought we should also... We didn't cover uh, some of the side characters and stuff, or even some of the main yeah. performances in the movie. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, to start at the beginning, I think the acting in this movie, all of it's really pretty good. Yeah, um, especially, especially Peter Weller. I think especially Chris Pine. I think I really loved him in Star Trek 09. I think he gives a really interesting performance. I love how much he's able to evoke some of the deeper truths I've always you know, felt about Kirk without ever imitating William Shatner. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you can't. William Shatner is unique. That is, that is, that is definitely true. Truer words have never been spoken. Yeah. Um, and I think Chris Pine in this movie is even... I, th- I actually think all the members of the crew give even better performances here than they did last time around. Like, and I, I just think he has this character down pat. And this is going to sound oxymoronic, but that's kind of why I was interested in him dying at the end. Because that had such a big impact. Yeah. He would have left such a big hole. And, he, and when he died, it did, felt like he did. He was just so good throughout this movie. Yeah, no, no I definitely agree. That, yeah. yeah. Like, all the performances I thought were really great. Yeah, uh, Zachary Quinto was someone who I thought last time... This was also a writing thing. I didn't think they had him... I thought he was really good. Didn't think he was quite perfect as Spock. Like, didn't have it quite 100% down. Uh, and this time, I think the writing, they, they had him talk a little less like a robot. Although there's one line where they have him calculate a percentage. That's a data line. Spock doesn't do that. Um, you know, and that's also not... You can't... No. You can't... That always bugs me when it's like, Captain, I believe we have like a 57% chance of things like... Dude, on what fucking... Like, what are you talking about? How could you possibly... Yeah. You're just making up bullshit. I always hate those lines because it's like, that makes no shit sense. You couldn't possibly try to calculate a p- probability out of a, this, like, fucking chaos theory, motherfucker. Talk to Jeff Goldblum. Yes. But anyway, so other than that, I think I think Zachary Quinto, like, right from when he appears, I just got this sense, like, he's really kind of honed his performance, really, really feels like Spock to me. Again, without hugely imitating Leonard Nimoy, he does not do, like, the eyebrow raise, for instance. Yeah. But uh, he finds other ways to really make it feel like this character. Yeah, no, yeah, like, the... And especially, like, the Kirk and Spock relationship with sort of the heart of the movie, they both play off of each other really, really well. They do, and I... My biggest disappointment on the character side is I... It's, I know it's tough, but Koi is a tough character to get in the movies, and the, even the original series movies. Yeah. You know, he is never all that prominent. But Carl Urban is so fucking perfect in these yeah, movies. Like, is. of all the characters, he really... I feel like he, most immediately in the first one, and, and here just feels like DeForest Kelly mm-hmm. and that character. And really, still while making it his own. And uh, I wish they were able to do more with him here. I feel like they kind of... It's not just that they underuse him. Sometimes I feel like I just don't even get the sense that he and Kirk are best friends in the way they should be. It's Although, would they be yet? Like, I don't even know if... Like, it, it feels like they would need to build that up. Like, I definitely agree that they don't necessarily feel like they are, like, the bestest of buds, but they also realistically have not known each other that long. Well, they knew each other all through Starfleet in this series, and, you know, so he's known... He still has known McCoy much longer than he knew Spock. 
Yeah, but like that doesn't mean that they're like best friends. I guess it's like I never, I didn't get that sense from those characters, but I didn't necessarily feel like that was something that needed absolutely to be there. I guess it's something I miss just being invested in those characters, but uh, from the original series, but. It's just something I noticed, and I feel like I, I thought they had one really, really nice scene on the bridge, and I forget what part of the movie it is, but it's where Kirk, it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and they have a conversation that feels like they completely nailed the writing of how you put those three characters in unison yeah. and have them argue an issue, and they did it really well, and I think we could have used a little more of that because this movie is so much about the line between emotion and logic, and I think McCoy is still an important part of that conversation, even though this is very much a movie about the Kirk and Spock sort of uh, science. But, like, because part of the thing is that with that dichotomy, Kirk is so far on the emotion side of this movie. That's yeah. like, there is no place for Bones to really be there. Like, he's not, Bones is not this other sounding board. Yeah. He, he's like, Kirk is occupying that role. Yeah. But, you know, maybe next movie we meet, you know, Bones' evil twin, and it's all about him. Dark Bones. Yes. Yeah, like I, yeah. I mean, I definitely agree that I would like to see more of him, but I don't necessarily. I don't know like where or how they would have done that in this movie. And I felt like where he was used, he was great. They had like that's like one thing about this whole movie that I like the aspect of this movie I thought was most improved over Star Trek two thousand nine is the humor. I thought here felt so much more natural just coming from the characters and the dialogue. Whereas in two thousand nine Star Trek, a lot of the joked stuff felt really forced to me, and, like kind of weirdly slapsticky in places and just like kind of inappropriate and kind of took me out of the movie. Whereas here, you know, when you cut to fucking Carl Urban and he's like, are you out of your corn-fed mind? That's a great line. That is, yeah, fucking awesome. When when he is on screen, they have they have Bones' dialogue down pat. Yeah. And I like that they, in each movie now, of these two, they have given him a great, I'm a doctor, not a yeah, something not a line. torpedo technician. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And, and I liked having him be the one who goes and opens the torpedoes. On that's that's yeah. a great scene, and then like the whole thing with him and Doctor Marcus. Yeah, like he's like has that whole thing where he's talking about he gave an emergency C-section to, to a Gorn with octuplets, and boy, do those suckers bite. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, and, and you know I enjoyed the I was able to enjoy the parts with Bones a lot more the second time. I complained about it my in my review, and if I were to go back to and revise that, I would probably tone that down. I still think. He's a little underused, but when he's there, it really counts. And yeah. I, I think and they I did felt, a, And I felt like he was used a lot better than this one than he was in Star Trek 2009. I definitely disagree on that. But Like, I just, like, I mean, it might be part of the thing where I haven't seen that movie in such a long time, but I don't remember his character to be, like, being that much in Star Trek 2009. So it's like, it definitely, I don't know. It felt like he gave, like, gave me a better, like, impression this time around. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I think, you know, what they do with Bones here, where, we, you know, when he's there, it counts. We definitely get a sense of how good he is at his job. I think we get a lot of that in the movie. I like that they, they're able to use, particularly the ones I noticed was, like, Sulu and Chekhov are pretty minor in the movie overall. Yeah. But I think their, their moments count. Like, Sulu gets this big moment where, just technically giving the con does not make him acting captain, but whatever. He, he's made acting captain, and, um, and he has that, he has a nice moment where he intimidates. He does the intimidating yeah, line. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. And, and John Cho is definitely someone who I... Did not get a very good feel for in the last movie of yeah. how they were going to play Sulu, and here he basically—that's how they always use George Takei, where he's just—he's kind of cool, he's kind of badass, yeah. and whenever you cut to him, it, you just get this sense that he's kind of better than anyone on that ship at his job. He just is super competent, yeah. And can you, if you want something done, he'll get it done. And then Chekhov, and Chekhov is Chekhov. They just lamest. Nothing. Fuck you, character in Star Trek. Check off. I just love that J.J. Abrams and, and the actor Anton Yelchin just embrace how much of a cartoon he is. Like, yeah. you would expect them to tone him down, but they don't in these movies. Like, he is super cheesy. Like, 
there's the moment where the ship like bends and he's like running and he falls and he's like sliding and he goes ay 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 yeah I was like that's so silly but it, it's funny yeah and I appreciated that because I don't like Chekhov okay so, so making Chekhov this bumbling buffoon I'm fine I'm fine okay. I can be behind that and then I think the the character I was most surprised with how much I liked what they did with her here was Uhura I really like. Uh, that actress, Zoe Saldana, I think she's really good in the part. I mean, it's basically a completely different character than in the original yeah, series. Yeah. But she kind of works as kind of this, kind of when she's in a major scene with the other characters, she's kind of the heart and soul of that scene, and I think she plays it really well. And I even I even was more interested in some of the romance with her and Spock, even though I still do not buy it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely think she did a good job in the movie. But yeah, the thing between Uhura and Spock just doesn't makes sense. She's to too emotional anyway. and he's a fucking Vulcan. That doesn't yeah, make sense. Yeah, like, and Spock would not be in that relationship. Like, he just wouldn't. Like, there's... Yeah. It's so weird. Like, it's... Yeah, it's just... It's such a bizarre choice that they made to do that and that they're like, they're sticking with it. Yeah. Maybe maybe Star Trek Three opens with them getting married. We see them having babies. Who knows? They couldn't because they're, they're too completely different. Then they reach that point where they realize we're two completely different species. This is... Weirdly kind of fucked up in a way. I like it. It's bestiality. Technically, yes. Maybe that's it. Maybe they just have two... They both have just six sex fetishes. And yeah. That's what they... That's but why they put up with yeah, each other. It's like, it just feels like... Oh, like it's just so weird. Talking stuff just like that wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. Well, here's the thing. I thought some of like these scenes where they're talking about their relationship were okay. I thought they did good yeah. character stuff there. But then there's the scene where she goes in to give him a kiss, and it's so awkward. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense because they can't figure out how Spock would kiss, and their decision there is he'll just stand there. Yeah. Well, I think Spock would, if he were going to do that, would probably try to invest himself in it somehow. Maybe but, I don't even like. I don't, but like, that's yeah. the problem. It's like, yeah, like the whole thing is like. They should have this friendship, maybe maybe kind of a close friendship or something, but it being romantic in any way just feels weird. Just like, yeah. it just doesn't... Like, it almost feels weirdly, like, rapey in a way, because Spock is so not invested in Uhura, and he has no idea what to do, and is just, like, throwing herself at him. It's just like, what is this? Like, this is so creepy. Stop doing it. Just leave Spock alone, for God's sake. Yeah. So we already talked about how Simon Pegg is awesome. Yeah, Scotty. yeah, and they give him a lot of stuff to do in this movie. Like, yep. he's sort of outside of the main character is probably the most important secondary character. I thought they had one dumb joke with him, which is where he's running through the cargo hold. He's like, I'm running! I'm running! And they have the long yeah, shot. Yeah, I kind of, like, I appreciated the joke, but it was sort of, it felt like, more like kind of the stuff in 2009 where, like, it didn't feel as natural. Like, it didn't feel like this, like, an organic, funny thing that happened. It was like... They like really deliberately just came up with this joke, and it's like this, like this movie can have a lot of funny stuff in it, but it's not a comedy, and you yeah. can't just have this like joke, joke right there. Yeah. yeah, it didn't. Yeah, it just and that scene especially was you know pretty heavy. They were about to get destroyed by Admiral Robocop. Yeah. So, in any case, it's it's all it's all fine. Um, on the technical side of things. We hinted at it at the beginning, but Michael Cicchino's score is back, and I think it's a... Yeah, he's as pun-heavy as always. Yes. He does, he's a good Star Trek composer. I, I wish yeah. he had done more developing the themes from the first movie here. He doesn't... Pretty underused, and it's not all that interesting, and I think if he does... If he returns to score more of these, I'd like to hear him write some more new music for it, but it's still... He definitely gets the energy that the movies need, and it, it works pretty well. Yeah. So, um, special effects are really good, I think, yeah. for the most part. Definitely. It's definitely, you know, it's, it's all CGI, but as I said last last week, that they 
clearly are able to make the CGI ships have this sense of weight that works well. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think some of the CGI creatures they have here and there, like in the first scene, uh, there's that ride that they were going to have, or he says, like, uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. That looked really cheesy, but other than that, mm-hmm. it looks pretty good. Um, and I should mention, I did see this movie in 3D, did you? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, the 3D is really, really good, and if you have, if you are, if you like 3D, that's how you should see the movie, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that way. I wouldn't go out of your way to see it that way, I wouldn't go out of your way to see any movie in 3D. Yeah. But if you do, it's, it's reportedly a conversion, but it looks like it was shot in 3D, it looks much better than most movies filmed in 3D. And uh, it definitely, the, the effects, actually, I saw it in 3D once and 2D once, and the effects, to me, looked even better in 3D. Um, so that was kind of cool. But that was, I was pleasantly surprised, because as you know, I don't usually like 3D, but I will be fair when I see a good one. All right, then. All right. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the cinematography in the movie. It yeah, it is, wasn't something that I, like, like, noticed at all. Like, it just felt like it's a movie. Like, it didn't feel exceptional or bad. It's just... It's it's mostly the shots of just people talking. They go in super super close up and tight, and have the like top and bottom of the person's face cut off, so we really just see from their eyes down to the like edge of their lower lip. And it's an awkward framing. And this is this is a bigger problem for me just with movies today. Most blockbusters are shot in the wide two point four to one aspect ratio, and I don't know why because most directors, J.J. Abrams included, have no fucking idea how to shoot for that aspect ratio. It's what you're ideally supposed to do is that we call that anamorphic framing because historically it's shot with an anamorphic lens. And when you shoot with an anamorphic lens, it's highly detailed, but it's also difficult to shoot for. And the idea is that you fill every part of the screen with detail. This idea that Star Trek does and a lot of movies shot in this aspect ratio do now where you have the, the face in one half of the frame and the other half is just blank, that's a new thing and that looks awful. I never like it when movies do that and that's a pretty common way of framing today and I think it's pretty clunky. And this movie does that, but it also has a lot of really awkward close-ups. It looks like it was composed for uh, 1.85 to 1, 16 by 9 framing and just had the tops and bottoms cut off. And J.J. Abrams is historically a TV guy, Mm -hmm. um, but I don't remember this being the case in any of his other movies, including Star Trek 09 and Mission Impossible 3. So it was a little weird to me. Um, Not horrible. Like He still, I think, he shoots action very well. Although there's a little shaky cam here and there that I'm not hugely fond of. I thought, I thought it was fine. Like, it was an appropriate amount of shaky cam to me. Yeah. Like, I... It was a couple of little dialogue scenes where they were doing it that annoyed me. And the action itself, I thought it worked fine. So. And I still like some of the tricks. Like, I think he, he uses Dutch angles the way you should use Dutch angles, which is to represent disorientation or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not... There's never just a random Dutch angle in the movie. I think yeah. those kinds of things are used well. So. Is there anything else major to talk about? I don't think so. I think, I think that, like, about covers it, that, like, you know, I think the, definitely the character stuff and what, how they deal with Kirk and Spock, and especially those being younger versions of those characters, it's really interesting, particularly how they, like, it culminates in the inverse Breath of Khan scene and, like, near the end. I think it's, like, those performances are so great and the writing there is so great and that relationship and that, like, how those characters develop is so interesting that it definitely gives this heart to what is otherwise what I would just call an action movie. And it's like, it, and you know, if you go into this looking at it as an action movie, I think you're going to be extremely satisfied because the action's really great, but there is a really strong character arc across it that carries that action, and a lot of action movies yeah. today don't always have that heart to it. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it reminds me a lot of The Avengers, honestly. Like, you know, it's got a lot of fun, lighthearted action. It's, like, the acting is great. There's a lot of fun, like, natural humor out of it. 
then there's a strong character core at the center of it. Yeah. It's a solid BB plus for me, I'd say. So I really liked I liked it. Yeah. Um, not a highlight, not a total highlight of the summer. Spoiler, Fast and Furious 6 is better, but I might talk about that next week. Just me. Sean's not going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Um, what else do we want to say? Fast and Furious so, Into Darkness. Yes. I should, I should note, I mean, we, we talked about this earlier, it definitely feels like J.J. Abrams just desperately wants to make a Star Wars movie. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obvious, like, it's, yeah, yeah it's, these are not slow-paced, naval, like, action, like, character pieces, you know, like, Star Trek II Wrath Khan is, they're not that kind of movie, because that kind of movie just wouldn't sell the if way he, they're trying to get the movies to sell. If he could have given Benedict Cumberbatch and Zachary Quinto lightsabers in that last scene, he totally would have. Yeah, and that, you know, short. Yeah, fuck it. I'd go for that. <laughs> so does this mean now, though, that because you liked this movie so much, you're excited for Star Wars Episode Seven? No. No, that doesn't mean that. That doesn't mean that at all. There's... <laughs> I know, I'm joking. Yeah, God. I think people sometimes misinterpret our disenthusiasm for Star Wars Seven with some sort of hatred of J.J. Abrams. That's not yeah, it. No, that's, yeah, that's definitely not true at all. I think J.J. Yeah. Abrams is a very good director, but... Uh, the, the problem, like, the fact that Star Wars Episode Seven exists is one of the core problems with Star Wars Episode Seven at all, so... Yeah. But we'll talk about that in 2015, if they're able to get it done that fast. Yeah. For now, uh, you know, this is our second podcast this week, hopefully our last one. As we said, if the Xbox event has something just completely crazy, batshit, like, oh my god, to yeah. it, we'll do a podcast midweek, although I'm pretty busy this week, so I don't know if we'll be able to do that, but if, if there's a... Absolute urgent need to, we will. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll be back next Monday. Our main topic will be the Xbox reveal and whatever else comes out in the interim. We might talk about some new movies. Sean has some game stories to tell. Yeah. So, that's it for this week. Yep. Doctor Who, Star Trek, it's a nerd's dream. Yep. And, you know, with, with I feel like we can't just end it right here because I said we would, we're only going to bring it up at the, at the beginning, but... It still needs to be said, Star Trek Into Darkness is a terrible fucking title, and even more so after watching the movie, when you realize that title has nothing to do with the movie. No, absolutely nothing at all. So, fuck you, J.J. Abrams. Fuck you, Into Darkness.